Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. So we're uh, continuing our series uh, called Outside Influence, in which we're studying the book of Daniel, and we're wrestling with some really important questions, I think, for our world today. Questions like, when you when you have a close friend or a boss or a close family member that you work with who is really difficult, maybe even hostile, uh, that because of their insecurity, their character, their the way they treat you rudely just creates this polarization in your relationship, and it's really difficult to be around with them. I think most of us probably have run into that at some point in our life, right? I have. I've had friends who were really close, who abandoned our friendship because of changing some very dearly held moral beliefs, and they demanded that unless I accepted their moral beliefs, that there was no way we could have a relationship. There's polarization of relationships going on all around us. Some of you work in settings with a boss who is really difficult or a colleague who is difficult, who treats you poorly, who treats you unfairly, maybe even harshly. And how do you have a good relationship with them in a way that creates positive Influence and a positive relationship even across those differences. Daniel speaks to us a ton about how to do that. Last week we talked about how uh, God calls us all like he called Daniel into a very, very difficult setting. And a lot of times we respond to that with, with complaints and, and God get me out of this and all these kind of, kind of weak posture trying to escape type of questions. But God wants us to learn to respond with strength and with a positive sense of him being in this for us. And in order to do that, we talked last week that we have to learn to develop a better focus and we have to ask different questions as the first questions we normally ask. Today, I want to practically talk in just really down-to-earth terms about how we grow in favor with God and especially with people in difficult relationships. What does that look like? What does Daniel teach us about that? We're going to start by looking towards the end of Daniel's life in Daniel 6 in a passage where the context of this passage is that that there's this been this this general who became this vassal king for the emperor Cyrus uh, who overthrew uh, the Belshazzar, it was Nebuchadnezzar's son who had been ruling, who Daniel had been serving up to that time. And he's now appointing administrators after this overflow, this coup that goes on. His title is Darius. Don't confuse him with Darius the first of a century later. Darius was a little bit like Caesar. Uh, people went and became king of Rome and they took on the title series. And that's kind of what Darius was in this instance. He was a vassal king of Cyrus, the emperor, while he was away on a campaign. And the text reads this. It says, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. That's just kind of a cool name, isn't it? Wouldn't you want to be a satrap? That just sounds, it's got a ring to it. With three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel, the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators uh, and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this 
The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of God. So, in answering the question, how do we go about living in a way that gains favor with God and with man, especially in difficult relationships? We're going to take a time to try to understand these exceptional qualities that Daniel exhibited by kind of taking an overview of a major portion of this book today. So Daniel, just to get the history, Daniel is gone now at this point in the, in, in the thing from serving Nebuchadnezzar, who's this egomaniac, ruthless, kind of capricious, vicious leader. And because of his faithfulness, at the end of his life, Nebuchadnezzar actually humbled himself and became a follower of God. But his son who took over for him, King Belshazzar, was even more prideful than his father was. And he was very, very, both of them very difficult to serve under. And Daniel interprets Belshazzar's vision that he has of this impending judgment. And, and, and the impending judgment was what we read about and talked about the context earlier. This general, Darius, snuck in, and, and, and history records actually snuck in and overthrew the Babylonian Empire in one night by sneaking into the town at night. And he becomes this vassal ruler. And we see God rapidly promoting Daniel. Uh, during this time, again, his exceptional qualities and this exceptional character allowed him to be so influential in a difficult working environment. Now, I'm sure I, like all of you, have experienced a number of difficult work environments, right? We've experienced working in difficult places where the natural reaction for us is to complain, to say things like, I deserve better, or to say things like, I'm not getting paid enough to put up with this junk. Or I'm struggling, and, and then we find ourselves struggling to believe in the mission of the business we're associated with, and we struggle to stay motivated. This is this temptation for us to just do enough to get by. Why give the extra effort in our environment just so someone else can prosper and benefit from what I do while they treat me like horrible, you know? And so we struggle with staying motivated. We struggle with giving our best in these environments. Daniel somehow overcomes that, is what we're seeing in this text. Uh, Those who were jealous, those who would undermine him, those who wanted to undermine him so they could increase in power, tried to find something to hold against them. They tried to find ammunition that they could use, but they could find nothing. Because he was trustworthy, he was neither corrupt nor negligent in anything he did. Now, we talked in the very first message uh, that if we understand that the source of our identity is God and not others, not ourselves, not how others define us or the culture defines us, and if we understand that God is the one with the power, not our boss, not the system around us, God has the power then what naturally comes out in our behaviors, which we're, what we're actually seeing here in Daniel, and it's actually this natural fulfillment of something Paul says in Colossians 3. He says this. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And Daniel could work hard. 
He could give his all even for these egomaniac evil people he worked with and functioned with such great integrity with a difficult boss wanting his boss to prosper even in an unpredictable hostile environment because he wasn't working for the king. He was working for the king of kings, the God of the universe. And you see, working for Jesus removes the need for ourselves to compare ourselves to the circumstances or the situation. We no longer have to say, oh, they're, they're, they're working less than I am and getting paid more than I am. I'm, uh, they're, they're getting all the breaks and I'm not. I have all the experience and yet they're the ones getting the promotion. And all that negative energy that we so easily fall into when we're working in a difficult or unfair setting goes away. Because we can walk home every day knowing we gave our best and knowing that God is pleased with our effort that day. But there's more that Daniel shows us about how we live in a hostile, polarized world and, and gain favor with God and with man. He, let's call this the exceptional quality of honoring, and we're going to explore what this looks like the, le- the, rest of the, the rest of the message today. And my hope is that we as a church, we as a people can grasp this culture of honoring, this idea of honoring so well that it becomes a distinctive that everybody knows us by in our community. So what does honor mean? How do we live a life of honor? Honor starts actually with honoring God. It starts there. You remember Joe Simonet, who was up here like uh, five weeks ago and we were talking about our margin series and we were talking about habits of good recovery from stress, try to, trying to live more healthy. And Joe came to the staff meeting a couple of weeks ago and graciously spent a lunch with us walking the staff through application of better habits of recovery so we would be healthier people in the way we approached life and margin and balance and, and replenishing ourselves. And, and, and uh, we were there and he reminded us of one of the healthy habits of recovery is this idea of a habit of reflection. Now, I don't know about you, but, but for me, uh, reflection so easily ends up being, oh, what did I do wrong today? What do I need to fix, right? And Joe reminded us in that time that reflection, if it's a really healthy habit, doesn't start with critique. It starts with gratitude. It starts with gratitude. So he led the whole staff through this two-minute exercise where we had to write down everything we were grateful for from from that day. And and then we processed it a little bit. And then he he pushed us and said, I want you to write for two minutes more. And you can't include anything from the first list. I want you to come up with two more minutes of writing of what you are grateful for. And the reality of what he led us through there is, is this whole reality of honoring God and daily practice, of having this gratitude and these praising habits that we have because it is so easy for us to get focused on our shortcomings and fixing ourselves and fixing the situations of people around us. But God loves to, even in the midst of all of our imperfection, He loves to bless us abundantly. Whether it's providing comfort or providing healing or providing wisdom or direction to solve a problem or to deal with a difficult relationship or the, or the strength of emotion to stay engaged in a difficult moment or, or just the simple empowering of the Holy Spirit throughout all of that in the sense that He leads us with an idea and we understand that He's leading us by the power of His Holy Spirit. And Paul talks about this gratitude recovery thing and how we honor God. He says, give thanks in all things to God. And he says it in many different ways in his letters. He, he demonstrates how he does that in the way he writes his letter. And he even demonstrates that we see it in, in the book of Acts where Paul has been arrested for his preaching. He's been thrown in jail after being beaten and put in stocks. And what do we see him doing in Acts? We see him 
praising and thanking God and showing gratitude for the things that God was up to that very day. You see, honoring cultivates a habit of expressing thanks to God and gratitude in all circumstances, especially even when things are difficult. There's actually this teaching, I don't have time in the Bible to give the background to, that basically teaches us about prayer, saying when you pray and ask God to do something, even before he's done it, you begin to thank him for the answer, even before you can see how that answer is going to come. So our question begins with, in the idea of honoring, how are we having this habit of thanking God, of showing gratitude all the time, all throughout the day, especially when we face difficult things that we would normally think we shouldn't be grateful for? How do we find a way to find God and express gratitude in those moments? Honoring starts there, and we see it in Daniel. He gives honor to God all the time before the king, and in so many ways we see it out through the book of Daniel. Honoring is this life habit, this life perspective that we develop. And when we develop it enough and it becomes strong, it begins to break out more naturally over time. But at first, and all throughout life, we're going to have to retack a lot of times and make it be something we work at. Because if we do not continue to cultivate this honor of God, we will never be able to express the honor God wants us to express towards others. Right? Because honoring others is also God. Why? Why is that? Because honoring starts as well of others with the recognition that from Mother Teresa to Kim Jong-un in North Korea, everyone is created in the image of God. And even though they may be deeply, horribly trapped in sin that corrupts who God has made them to be, they're still made in the image of God. They're still someone that Jesus was sent to suffer, to die, to rise again, to offer forgiveness to and offer salvation to, to restore their life, to redeem their life to a more healthy function and purpose that they were intended to fulfill in their life. We see this in Daniel 2 in the interpretation of the dream that he gives to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2 where Daniel says, Your Majesty... You are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all of mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made, the, made you ruler of them all. You see, what he's doing there is he's recognizing that the image of God in Nebuchadnezzar was created for leadership and for rulership. That's what he created him for, and that was how he was expressing a sense. And and as people created in the image of God, all of us, as created in God has given us a purpose. And even when we're sinful, even when we're unbelieving or rebellious, there's something inside of us that is creating a passion that for us to do what God has called us to do and be about what he's called us to be about. Consider this about the difficult person in your life, whether it's a boss or whether it's a friend or a family member. God likely created them to be doing, especially in the work environment, to be doing the things that they are doing. If not the exact thing, then similar kinds of things. He created them to create jobs, to train people, to, to, to sell, to raise up people, to bring goods, to bring, bring blessing to the people. And it may not be, they may not be doing it the way God wants. In fact, they may be sinning, they may be sinning a bunch in the way they express it. 
But part of honoring them recognizes that they're people created in the image of God. They're loved by God. They're given a purpose. And like you and I, even if they're trapped largely in expressing that through sinful ways, they are still worthy of honor. So let's, let's extend this idea of how we live this out. And we're going to just kind of use a, a kind of a fill-in-the-blank type of a formula for the rest of the points for the message. It's going to be honoring means blank. So our first one, honoring means we choose to focus on God's intent for them more than we focus on the negative. The Bible talks about honoring God, and it talks, and it often uses this term ascribing honor to God. And this term ascribing is this term that, that talks kind of like, it's almost like our words place that honor upon Him. Now, we know that God deserves fully any kind of honor we can give Him, and that may not be true of individuals that we think we're looking at, but God wants us in kindness to ascribe, to place upon them, to speak to the beauty and the power of the way God created them. He wants us to take every opportunity to shine a little light on even the littlest demonstration of that purpose that is being exhibited in their life. And in so doing, we honor the image of God in them and we honor and give praise to God because we're praising the way he created another individual. It's really wonderful to get involved in that. It's not just flattery. It's based upon our glimpse. It's based upon our glimpse of God's creation and God's design in others and affirming that. It is, in a sense, us speaking prophetically God's words and God's hope over this person about the way God created them to be. I had a great example of, of, of that in my life. There was a, a one of the great men I've been able to serve under was named guy, a guy named Dr. Donald Bryan. He was the guy who hired me at my last job as a consultant on the West Coast. He was my first boss out there. And prior his, his life, he had been a really successful missionary, then the president of a Bible college, then a superintendent over 100 churches, and then he became a catalytic, catalytic leader of ethnic church planning all across America. And, one of my jobs and one of his jobs was to go into churches that were in trouble and try to restore them to health and growth for many years. And Dr. Bryan was this amazing guy that almost everybody would talk about him and say, this guy never gives up on anyone. I got to admit, there were some of the situations I went into that I was going, I'm going to give up on this one the first day. Not, I'm never going to give up on the people, but I was going to give up on that person be a pastor, be, as, as being a pastor or the leader of a church. And the reality is some of the people probably needed to not be pastors because of their character deficiencies or skill deficiencies. But, but Br- Dr. Brian, he never never said no and never gave up on somebody. And he had this focus on other people's dreams and other people's potential and other people's strengths, the gifts that they did have. And he he never focused on the weaknesses and the sin that was going on in their life. And I got to tell you, there's the result over watching him for over a decade work with people was there were people who everybody else said could never make it, could never do anything, who did marvelously well, far beyond anybody could expect, far beyond even what their own personal expectations of their of themselves were. He was such a great example of this type of honoring, of really the type of honoring that God does with you and I. 
I'm so thankful that God put him in my life as this, as this great picture of God's love and how God incessantly pursues us and honoring how he created us and wanting to bring that to full life in us. Another way of putting the same point might be saying honoring means speaking God's hoped for future into existence in a person's life even when it's not being expressed. I've got to tell you, my wife, Wendy, does this really well with our kids. There's so often I watch her when our kids are struggling with the normal lessons of responsibility or things growing up, and she just manages to flip it and speak to them about this positive character and this positive responsibility they're going to have, and it brings so much beautiful life change and growth in them. She does it so well. And we get when we get this picture of somebody else around us, of, of God's plan and f- future, and we get to speak prophetically, essentially, over them. We get to speak prophetically because we're recognizing God's design. And when we do that, there's this, there's this Holy Spirit connection that happens. There's this power that comes into that person's heart as you begin to speak to them in alignment with the way God created them that helps them discover who they are and gain freedom, whether it's character or whether it's giftedness or whether it's leadership potential or some sort of purpose for their, for their future. Prophetically, positively motivated a person to dream and believe God's dream for them, that he can do it through them. Another way of putting the same point is honoring is the application of grace in practical terms. It's believing like God that humanity, even in all of our sin and our messed upness, our corruptness, our rebellious state, is worth redeeming, worth sending his son to redeem that image that he created in his own likeness in us. You see, Daniel also teaches us that honoring also means listening caringly to where others are and not demanding our needs or rights. Now, we left off a few weeks ago in chapter 1 at verse 8 where Daniel says he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food or wine. And then we see after that, if you read the text from there, you see Daniel going to his supervisor, trying to live in accord with his conscience, to not violate his conscience. But but if you read that and look at what he does, Daniel's actually sensitive enough to not go there and demand my moral right, my religious freedom. He first starts by what? Listening. He listens to his supervisor and finds out what his fear is if he violates or doesn't follow the king's rule. And he discovers his very real fear and then he responds to it in a caring way, in a way that allows him to address this guy's fears and be able to still do what he wants. You see, it's so easy for us to approach those difficult times, those moral times, those religious freedom times in our own lives with a sense of moral determination with a sense of demand to get our way and to do that. But, but if we just listen, if we start by listening, there's this sense of honor of the other person that comes out and it demonstrates the ability for Daniel and for us all to learn to take the lives of the people that are difficult in our life and care for them. How often do you back away from your frustration, your moral determination, to actually sit down with the people who are difficult in your life and say, what's going on with you? What are your fears? 
How does this threaten you if I make this decision? Why does this make you feel uncomfortable? To really understand them and respond kindly and graciously to them. You see, honoring starts by prioritizing understanding. It doesn't come with a tone of demanding my way in this circumstance. I mean, I wonder sometimes in some of our great social issues and debates that we have that are so polarized in our culture today, I wonder how things would be different if we were calm enough to listen to the person whose view we hated to understand where they're coming with, coming from and be able to get beyond that somehow. Honoring also means being respectful and leaving the defending of our faith and your life to God. Nebuchadnezzar is quite the guy. I mean, you know, you look at the whole story. He sacks Jerusalem and he, and he forces them into exile and he takes some of the stuff from their temple and brags that his God defeated their God and, and he forces them into this cultural brainwashing re-education program. And, and then we see in, in chapter two, he has this dream and he takes his magi wise men and, and he says, basically, you tell me the dream and the interpretation both. And if you can't tell me the dream and the interpretation, then I'm going to kill you all. And we see this power encounter where God shows up in Daniel's life and Daniel's able to tell him the dream and interpret it. And he, he meets God. Nebuchadnezzar meets God in this powerful way. But then again in chapter 3, his ego just re-erupts and gets the best of him and he builds this 90-foot tall gold statue and he says everybody needs to bow down to it. And some of the guys who are jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decide to get them by pointing out to the king that they're not bowing. And so he ends up uh, getting them to, to come before him and insists that they bow down. And we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response here in verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Doesn't this strike you as an oddly calm tone? I mean, this is not like Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible defiant and spitting in their face saying, I'm going to get you. And it's not like Sylvester Stallone type. It's not the macho symbol that we think when somebody's captured in our culture. No, they just respond, our God is capable of delivering us. But even if he isn't, even if he doesn't, it's okay. There's no lashing out at the evil injustice of the king for his evil actions. There's just calmly stating a clear boundary, and they address the king throughout the whole time with great respect. See, there's this confidence that they don't have to defend their God or themselves before him. God is the one who defends himself and God is the one who defends us who follow him. What a powerful difference that kind of honoring can make in our tone and our relationships. Now, some of you may say, well, it didn't really make much of a difference here. He just, he just heated the fire seven times hotter and then threw him in anyway, and he got really mad. Yeah, he got really mad in the moment, right? But can you imagine this dynamic going on in Nebuchadnezzar in this moment when he goes to this just out-of-control anger? And then a few minutes later, he's seeing... Not three that he put in the fire, but four. A lot of people, a lot of biblical scholars would say this is one of these theophanies of Jesus appearing in the Old Testament in the fire with them. And they're, not, they're unsinged and they come out. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, the text says, are what? They're promoted. Now think about it. If they had been defiant and demanding, 
Even after the miracle, they wouldn't have been, they might have been honored out of fear, but they wouldn't have been promoted because these guys, if they had been defiant and demanding and they had that kind of power encounter, if you're the king, you're going, I'm putting these guys as far away from me as possible because these guys have the ability to overthrow me. I couldn't even defeat them. But because they had honored him, they are promoted and they are trusted and they gain lasting influence for God and the kingdom all throughout the Babylonian kingdom, which leads us to the next one. Honoring means serving. Now, we stated earlier these exceptional qualities of Daniel serving, but, but let me add to that. Honoring means serving others and truly wanting them to prosper. <clears throat> so look at Daniel 4. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And this dream is this dream of this large, expansive, fruitful tree that is cut down and left to be only a stump bound by iron and bronze and in the middle of this grass field. And, and uh, in the dream, uh, Nebuchadnezzar hears this angel speaking that the, that the person that this great tree represents has this powerful mind and it will be turned into the mind of an animal until seven times pass. And then the angel says, this is to prove that God Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth. And when Daniel is told this dream, notice what happens. It says, Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And Daniel answered, My lord, if only the dream had applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. So, and then he gives the interpretation of the dream. And the interpretation is this, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to eat grass like an ox for seven years. You're going to go certifiably crazy. But God is going to preserve your kingdom and he's going to restore you when you humble yourself before God and acknowledge him. Now think about this for a moment. Nebuchadnezzar had threatened Daniel's life at least on a couple occasions that we know of, and more probably that aren't recorded. And, and, and he had experienced God doing something no human could ever do, both giving the dream and the interpretation to somebody else, this profound divine encounter, and he doesn't change. He's still this capricious, maniacal, unpredictable boss who's difficult to work with, who then goes on to demand people worship this idol and throws Daniel's three closest friends into the fire, trying to kill them as well. And again, experiences a divine encounter, but he doesn't change. He's still arrogant. He's still difficult, evil, unpredictable. Now think about the really difficult people in your life for a second. Uh, Maybe it's a difficult boss or a difficult colleague who just offends you, frustrates you, hurts you. Or or maybe it's a a family member or a friend or, or a stranger who hurt you so deeply that it still affects you today. Or, or maybe it was a coach who hurt your kids and, and left you with an offense and, and sadness because it hurt your kids' confidence and damaged them. And so any, if any of those brought a mind, somebody to mind that popped into, your, popped into your head, if that person had a dream like Nebuchadnezzar's of judgment, what would your thoughts be and your feelings be in that moment? I think I can tell you because I, I think I'd be tempted to have exactly the same thoughts you'd have. And I probably would, I, I need to make sure I clean the language up because if I, I represented everybody's thoughts here too much, it probably wouldn't be appropriate for this setting today. But you would say you are happy they're getting what's coming to them. 
They sowed and they reaped what they deserve and it's about time, right? But Daniel is so aware of God's power of being the one with the power. He's so aware of God loving Nebuchadnezzar as his creation, as as a person he loves, that he feels deeply, overwhelmingly saddened. And he says, my Lord, if only the dream had applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. See, there's this honoring even your enemy with sincere desire for them to have a hope and a future, and to prosper. And see, I think what Daniel is living out here is what he learned as a lesson from the prophet Jeremiah when he was growing up because he and Jeremiah were in Jerusalem at the same time, would have known each other around the sacking of Jerusalem. And Jeremiah is is the guy often referred to as the weeping prophet. He's often referred to, he's the last prophet before the sacking of Jerusalem was there at the time of Nebuchadnezzar overrunning at the same time Daniel was carried off. And he's the bearer of much bad news. It's, It's just a really rough prophet job. Because the people are so hard and rebellious against God for so many centuries of God's patience that God finally discerns that the only way to save them is to let them feel a more full measure of the pain of their sin and thus they are defeated and exiled. But in the midst of that, prophecies that Jeremiah is giving, Jeremiah clearly, powerfully clarifies God's heart towards his people and he instructs them as how they should live once they are taken into exile. We see that in Jeremiah 29. We're going to only look at verse 7. He says, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. He's saying honor. Serve, pray for blessing even upon your enemies. Genuinely hope for their prosperity. That's one of the reasons why our, a lot of our, some of our outreach ministry that we do here is under the moniker Project 297. It's our vision for reaching the community and bringing peace and prosperity to people's lives who do not have that advantage or that place in their life right now. It's primarily been focused this last year on, uh, on tutoring at-risk kids uh, in an elementary school nearby here, and we're going to continue that, but I'm going to also invite you in just a few minutes at the close of the service to stay if you have time today for an extra 10 minutes because I think God may be speaking to us about that next step of us going deeper in making a difference in that way. But for today, cultivating a habit of living life, honoring God and honoring others. See, honoring does not mean that we do not confront sin and weakness. We see Daniel clearly confronting weakness on a regular basis. But honoring speaks to the freedom and speaks to the strength that God wants us to have in our hearts, the kind of strength that allows us to return blessing for cursing, that allows us to love instead of hate, that allows us to return patience even in the midst of unpredictable, capricious impatience of other people around us. He wants our hearts to be free of the pain and the hurt from the bitterness of the just view of the unfair treatment that we've had in the past or the painful treatment that we've had in the past. And he wants us to be free to love humanity like he loves humanity, to genuinely hope the best for even those who hurt us the most. It's hard, isn't it? 
living a life honoring others is this daily, minute-by-minute, intentional refocusing habit that we need to develop in our lives. And I know I've had so many people who have hurt even me like you. I've had other people who have lied intentionally about me, sometimes just gone behind my back to manipulate. I've had people you know, use, my, use me to, only to turn and stab me in the back. And, and some of them were other Christian leaders and pastors who have done that. And, and like you, you've had bosses. You've had parents, maybe siblings, maybe family, maybe friends, maybe a spouse do that to you. And God is inviting all of us today to this freedom from the bondage to the pain and instead to live a life of strength in which we honor God and we honor others, thereby allowing the power of the Holy Spirit within us to grow us in favor and tremendous influence with even the most difficult people in our world around us. Today, we're going to apply this uh, in an active way by celebrating communion. Uh, The communion are the emblems Jesus uh, talked to us about uh, of our way of remembering and honoring who he is to us and how he has freed us and how he wants us to love others. Jesus took the bread and, and he broke it and he said, here, eat this. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of what? It's a remembrance that he pursued and took the pain and betrayal and the hurt we dished out to him. And he chose to honor us by speaking life and hope and healing to us and by offering us an example of how we love and honor others as well. And Jesus took the cup and he uh, said, drink this, my blood, for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of what? What are we remembering? That that, that, That you would know the perfect forgiveness he gives you, the perfect forgiveness, and that you would know the perfect forgiveness he's offering to other people around you, and that you would also live offering that forgiveness by honoring others, not looking at their sin because that sin has already had the offer of forgiveness made for it, but instead looking at the reason why he created that person and blessing them and honoring that purpose in them, that image that he's created in them. Today, if you hold bitterness, which all of us struggle with when we've been treated in difficult settings in a difficult way, we struggle with it. We struggle with honoring. I want you to come and I want you to receive communion today and receive God's forgiveness again. The Holy Spirit is here. If you have been struggling with demeaning thoughts, angry thoughts, wanting people to reap what they sow and being glad when people reap what they sow, then just come and receive his forgiveness today for that. He's trying to, the Holy Spirit's here just convincing you that there's a better way. What we talked about today is a better way. And even if you've forgiven those who've hurt you, a boss, an ex, a friend, a child, a, 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 a childhood friend who hurt you badly, or, or a pastor, or, or someone you looked up to as a Christian role model, it's really normal. You're going you're gonna to go through life even after having forgiven them, and there's going to be these re-erupting moments where that bitterness comes up. That, that's normal. That, that happens. I want you to come and receive communion today as just a celebration of the fact that if we keep turning towards God, He's going to bring freedom increasing freedom from those re-erupting emotions that we have. But it's a daily heart check. It's something we need to recognize and we need to come to God with. And if you're here today, I think there's probably some of you here today who your bitterness, the unfair treatment of your past, 
the abuse done to you for you has been an, an excuse for not following Jesus. You've been angry at God. And I would submit to you today that what you're hearing and what you're sensing right now, probably from the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit is convicting you. He's convincing you that what we're talking about today, this life of honoring, this life of freedom, this life of strength, not being caught up in the weakness of being a victim of your circumstance, is really what He's calling you to do. He wants you to step beyond that bitterness and declare him the leader of your life and accept that forgiveness. And, and you can do that today too by just simply coming and receiving communion. And as you receive communion, just to say, God, forgive me for holding you off and for my sins. And would you lead my life from today forward? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just ask for your freedom and your strength to come to us right now. Lord, that you'd bring to mind as you faithfully do the things we need to think about in this moment that you want to address, that you want to speak to us about, that you want to bring freedom and strength to, the the, the relationships that you want to heal, the relationships that you want to empower us more in to make a greater difference. Lord, bring those to mind. And Holy Spirit, now just come and breathe on us your power and your presence, your forgiveness your strength to live life like you live, honoring, believing in, focused on the redemption that you want to do in other people's lives. And Lord, would you increase our favor with you that your power would be able to be exhibited through us more because we live more like you? And would you greatly increase our favor with the human humanity around us, with our bosses, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our family members that we struggle with? Would you greatly increase our influence that we could look back on our life like Daniel and know that many people turn to you and humble themselves because they encounter you through us. They encounter your picture of them through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.